Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, um, we've heard your word uh, read. We're going to hear it preached now. Uh, some of us heard this um, this morning. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to do what we hear you say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a good listener? That's the question. Are you a good listener? Uh, you say, pardon. Uh, I say, I said... Are you a good listener? Um, it's a joke. That's my only joke. That's all you got this evening. Um, I guess we're less uh, good listeners than maybe we were as, as, as a nation um, in the last couple of years. Uh, we've all got used to Zoom. We've all developed probably some habits on, on Zoom. We're in a Zoom meeting. We're chatting to someone. We're, we're sort of in the meeting, but we're also able to sort of check our, our, our phone down here. We're, we're, we're sort of listening, but we're sort of not listening. And maybe that's okay in certain situations. But there are situations where listening really, really uh, matters. You're, you're in the doctor's surgery. The doctor's explaining the diagnosis. It's bad news. Uh, you need major surgery. And at that point, the doctor has your full attention. You are really really listening. Listening to the Bible really matters. 
God is a speaking God. God speaks to us in the Bible. And as God speaks, he gives us his diagnosis um, of our hearts, of, of our lives, of the reality of our situation in this world. But he also wonderfully gives us the treatment, the solution, the good news of the gospel. So when we open the Bible, we're always hearing diagnosis, reminder of the diagnosis, if we've heard it before, and, and also uh, treatment. Now in this book of James, we've, this is our third week in it, God's been speaking to us through this book for these last few weeks. In love, he's been diagnosing before us a genuine faith on the one hand and fake faith on the other. And I guess the question for us is, How's our listening going? Are we listening carefully? Have we been listening to what God has been saying? Does he have our full attention? Or are we sort of listening? We're sort of listening to, to God, but really we've got one eye on, on, on other stuff, on, on the, you know, the rest of life, on what we might think is real life. You know, we're caught up in social media. We say life is too busy. We, we've sort of heard God's word in the last couple of weeks, but we've, you know, we've just moved on. Or maybe we're struggling to, uh, to listen because our heckles have been rising as, as God has spoken to us. We've heard some, some strong stuff and we're tempted to say, uh, yes, but. Yeah, I sort of take that on board, but. And we push back against what we've heard. Or we start to listen, but we, we then think that we're really listening for other people. You know, I think he or she really needs to hear this bit. And we, we just divert it onto other people. It doesn't really apply to me. Well, look, this evening we've got, we've got this passage in front of us. I think it breaks down into three. We've got a warning, we've got an encouragement, we've got a test. Let's start with a warning. The warning is in verses 19 to 21. It'll appear on the screen. It's this, if we deflect God's word, we're in danger. If we deflect God's word, we're in danger. There's, there's the warning. And to verse 19, let me read it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 19 is the sort of thing that a parent uh, would say. If you're a parent, maybe you've said this sort of thing to your child. If you're a child, you, you've heard this sort of thing from your parents. It's the similar to the, you know, you've got, you've got two ears and one mouth and, you know, you should listen more than speak, the sort of thing your parents say. Or you have it on a calendar of pithy sayings. It's that, it looks like that sort of verse. But I don't think this is just a verse about life lessons about how, you, how well you listen to your, your spouse or your boss or your friends at, at school. I guess there are things to learn from a verse like this about that, about how we listen to others. That's important. Maybe your neighbor was, was nudging you during the readings, uh, hoping that you'd take this on, on board. Really in context, this is a verse about how we receive what God says in his word. And we know that because it's sandwiched between a couple of verses which talk about God's word. So just look down, verse 18 from last week. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And uh, again, look down, verse 21, the, the one after. Um, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James is talking about how we respond to God's word. It's in line with where we've been in the last um, few weeks. James is saying, when we hear God's word, first be quick to hear. Listen, ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? 
What would you have me hear from your word? And so it really comes down to what our attitude to this book is. This book, the Bible. How do we respond to it? What do we think of it? Do do we think of it as a dusty set of rules? Or do we understand it rightly as it is? God revealing himself so that we can get to know what he's like and the things that he cares about, his priorities for our lives. And in any relationship, you you get to know a person by listening to them. The more you listen, the more closely you listen, the more you find out what they like and what they dislike. And so I've I've found sort of in in the first few years of of, of marriage with, with Christmas presents, in those first few years, what you're, the dream scenario, the thing that you're, you're really hoping you can do is not be told what to buy for Christmas, but work it out. And you know that in, you know, in, in, in friendships as well, the dream scenarios, you, you just listen to the clues, you, you, you work it out, you, you scribble down some notes, you, you've listened really carefully and you produce a Christmas present and they say, wow, that's just what I wanted. How did you know? And in your heart, you think, well, that's because I, I did that clever thing. I listened all year very carefully. And that's the first few, my experience, first few years of marriage, terrific if you get the dream scenario. But there comes a tipping point when, when it's just become clear that you've not been listening and you start to get presented with the list. You just get the list. Here are the things that I want. And, and at that moment, you realize, gosh, I've not really been listening. And now I'm just being told these are the things that... Uh, that I'd like to have. So any relationship, it works well when we listen. It goes badly when we stop listening. And so what is our attitude to this book, the Bible? Are we the sort of people who we long to listen to God's word? We long to read it for ourselves. We're, we're hungry for, for sermons that help us to understand this. We, we've got a Christian book on the go that would help us to do that. We, we pick up the Bible notes. Where have I, I put them? The Bible notes, you know, explore Bible notes or whatever. We just, we just get going on, on that. Not just because it's an activity. This isn't just about an activity. This is about an attitude towards, towards God. An attitude that says, Lord, please speak. I'm, I'm all ears. I want to hear. As Samuel in the Old Testament said to God, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And friends, the Christian life is full of fresh starts. If you're hearing that and you say, that's not where I am at the moment, or I used to be there, the Christian life is full of fresh starts. And so we can get going again with God's help. Be quick to hear, says James. And of course the thing that stops us listening, or one of them, is speaking. When we speak, we're getting across what we want to say. We're not listening to the other person. We're in transmission mode. And we can be like that with God. We can be in transmission mode. That happens, I think, when our internal voice gets so loud that it drowns out God's voice. And James, I think, says that that can be especially true in trials. So, so far in James, we've heard some strong stuff from James. Things like, uh, trials can reveal fake faith. Or, uh, sinful responses to trials are our fault. Or, or, persevere, keep looking to God in trials. And our internal voice in any one of those can, can kick in and say, I don't really like the sound of that. Uh, no, I, I don't want that to be true. Or, no, that's not for me, that's really for someone else. We can be quick to speak. 
We can even, James goes on, we can be quick to become angry as well. I don't know if you've been ever angry in a sermon. Have you ever been angry in a sermon? I think I can think of occasions when I uh, have been. And sometimes, you know, maybe that's the right anger. Sometimes the preacher hasn't taught the, the Bible rightly and or well, they've not put it sensitively enough to be heard and maybe there's a righteous a- anger there. You know, and as a preacher, I'm grateful when that's sort of gently pointed out to me. It gives me a chance to you know, correct where I've got that wrong or say sorry if I've been, been clumsy. But I don't think James is talking about that sort of anger. You know, how do we respond when something has been clearly put before us that is from the Bible? It is clearly what God is saying. He's challenging an area of lifestyle that we need to change or something that we need to do. It's from God. And at that point, we feel the heckles rise and we get angry. What should we do at that point? Well, James says, slow down. Be slow to be angry. Listen to God. Take it on board. Don't be so quick to push it away. And he gives a reason for that. So verse 20 starts with a linking word, for, for, here's the reason, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So slow down and listen because your anger won't produce the righteousness that God really wants to produce in your life. You know, the things that God says, especially in in trials, hard as they might sound, James says are sent by God to produce good stuff in our hearts in the long term. And he goes on to say, you know, God is against filthiness and rampant wickedness. God is calling us to work with him. And so again, we get a summary word, verse 21. Therefore, put away these things. Put away wrong responses to trials. Put away our attempt to engineer the outcome. Put away our responses to, to others as we respond to trials. You know, example, put, put away passive aggression to others. Put away guilt trips. Put away manipulation. Put away lying your way out of the situation. Put away spiteful comments. James says, put away those things. Because in uh, two years, five years, 20 years' time, they will not have produced the righteousness that God longs to produce. Instead, they will have produced bitterness and more brokenness in those relationships. Now, friends, that's not easy. We need God's help to receive his words. And and I think this takes us time and again back to chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. But the reason that we often don't, I think is very simple, and it's pride. It's pride that deflects God's word. And I think we know that by implication of verse 21. Verse 21 ends with, receive with meekness the implanted word. So the right response is is that, to receive with humility. Therefore, by implication, I take it the wrong response comes from pride. I'm speaking to someone this week who's, who's started to learn squash. He's just a couple of lessons into learning learning squash. He's learning from a coach. He's an expert. 
Now, now, presumably, if he deflects the advice that he's getting from that coach, then the real reason he can, the only real reason he can be doing that is pride after two lessons. If he's saying to the coach, I'm sorry, I'm not listening to you, I mean, that can't be humility. That must be pride, right? If he's deflecting the, the words of this coach. And James is saying it's the same with us. If we deflect God's word, I mean, God the expert, the one who sees everything, he, who's experienced the trials of this world in, in Jesus, if we're deflecting God's word, we're in danger. We're in danger for a start of, of producing a crop of unrighteousness. James is warning us about that. But we're also in danger of rejecting the very thing which can save our souls. Verse 21, end of. Receive the word which is able to save your souls. But if we do receive God's word, especially the authority that God speaks with, uncomfortable as that may be, it will save our souls. We had this diagram uh, last week, remember it? This, this sort of brink point, the choices that we face, that we set ourselves on one particular path or the other. And James has this eternal perspective to present trials. Last week we heard that how we respond to trials matters, and this week, how we listen to God in those trials really matters. So there's the warning from verses 19 to 21. Let's come to the encouragement. It's in verses 22 to 25, and the encouragement is, if we do God's word, we'll be blessed. If we do God's word, we'll be blessed. And now James takes it on a bit. He, he's not just talking about listening um, for academic study. He's not just talking about listening to gain some interesting information. Uh, no, he's talking about listening in order to do or to obey. So verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The New International Version um, translates it like this, which I thought was helpful. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. So we're told that the word has been planted, it's been implanted in our souls, but it, James is sort of correcting the, the thought that we could have, well, it's been planted, I just, I just sit back, don't I? I just let it grow organically within me. And James is saying, no, no, we have to be active. We have to become doers of the word. And in verse 23 to 24, to help us understand, he gives a little illustration to, to show how foolish it is to, to hear, to have something pointed out to you and then not to do it. And he changes the image slightly from hearing to, to seeing. And this illustration about the mirror. So he says, you know, imagine the person um, and you know the situation, you're about, to, you're about to dash out of the house. You're dashing out of the house to meet a friend or you're dashing to, to meet a, go to a meeting, a formal meeting at work and you, as you're you know, just running past that mirror that you have by the door, you just pause for a second and you, um, you, you glance in the mirror quickly and you notice, because it's absolutely obvious, that you have an enormous dollop of, of strawberry yogurt on your shirt. I mean, it's massive, just sort of covers, covers all of the lapel there. In my house, I try and blame that sort of thing on, on, on the kids, but uh, I'm often told that I'm the one who needs the, the bib, so um, I, I can't get away with it. But this, this person, they, they sort of spot it, but they don't do anything about it. 
they, they carry on getting ready, they put their, their scarf on, they put their hat on, they, and, and they, they, they rush out, they don't do anything, they rush out of the door and they, um, they get on the train and everyone's looking at them a little bit weirdly. Um, they, they meet with that friend or they, they go to the meeting and everyone sort of hasn't even, doesn't even notice the enormous strawberry blob that he's got on his lapel. And at, at the end of the day or at the lunchtime, they go into the loo and they look in the mirror and they go, oh gosh, what an idiot. What a plonker. Now, what have they done wrong? What did they get wrong? And you know the situation. The mirror told them some information, pointed out some information that, that they needed to act on. They needed to change. But they were plonker. They were foolish. They, they didn't act. And if they're anything like me, they should have acted straight away. I've got a terrible memory. They should have just done it straight away. And James says... You and I are often like that in how we hear God's word. God's word is like a mirror of our souls. We look into it and God tells us stuff about us. God gives us information about our hearts. Usually stuff that we need to change. But we can be so foolish. We say, thanks, it's very interesting information, thank you very much. And we carry on as normal. We're deceiving ourselves, says James. We're deceiving ourselves. I think by that he means that we're, we're telling ourselves that everything's okay between you know, me and God. Um, you know, God told me some stuff and I ignored it and that's fine. I don't, you know, it's interesting stuff he told me, but I, I frankly ignored it and that's, that's fine. I can treat God like that. And James is saying, no, no, no. You're deceiving yourselves if you think that's an okay way to, to respond to God when he, when he tells you stuff that, that, that he's telling you because he loves you and he wants to, to change you, to grow you. James says, don't merely listen to the words and say, deceive yourself, do what it says. You know, for example, in the last couple of Sundays, James has said to us, ask for wisdom in trials. And maybe we're going through a trial or we're going through the ups and downs of life. And we've heard that in the last couple of weeks, but actually we haven't done that. We haven't really set aside time to ask God for that help. Maybe we've said, I'm just too busy to pray, or deep down we want to go it alone, or we don't want to accept God's, God's way. Now, it's not wrong to pray for relief in trials. Good thing to pray that trials would, would end. But I guess are we quick to speak? Is the only thing that we say in that situation just make it go away? Well, well James is saying, slow down. You know, ask for wisdom alongside that. Ask God, Lord, I, I do want to grow in righteousness as you change me. But maybe, as I said, the last couple of weeks we just haven't done that. We're not doing what God has said. And so God says again to us tonight. Ask for wisdom in trials. Let me in. And maybe tonight we'll say, oh, I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to do that. And I'll just give some space for us at the end of the sermon to do that. So James says negatively, don't be like that person. Act on what you hear immediately. And then verse 25, the positive comes. The positive is the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the perfect law here 
Um, given James is writing to, to Jewish readers predominantly, at the least this must be the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, fulfilled in, in, in Jesus in, by James's day. But notice the law, it's called the law of liberty. Strange, isn't it? We think of observing laws as, as restrictive. But actually God's law, his Old Testament law, reveals God. God's law, his word, reveals how to enjoy a relationship with him. And the Bible says that's the environment that you and I were made for. That is where perfect and true liberty is found. So think about it. A fish is made for water. It's, it's free in that environment. Remove it from that restriction, if you thought of it like that. Remove it from that restriction and the fish would die. And we were made for God. We are most free in the environment that we were made for, in, in God's law of liberty. That's where we flourish. Remove us from that restriction. Or try and get outside of that and just get away from God and his word and his law. We shrivel up and die. We're best made. We flourish best within God's law of liberty. And James says, God says, if you do my word, you'll be blessed. And notice a couple of things from this verse as you just look, we look a bit more closely. He will be blessed in his doing. So not just do it and you'll be blessed later, but actually the blessing is in the very act of doing, actually in the very act of living out God's word, there is, there is blessing. Notice as well that this, person, that this comes to a person who, who looks into the law, into the mirror, and perseveres. You see that? The law of liberty and perseveres, James adds. The person who keeps looking, who perseveres in looking, who's made a life decision, I will stay here with my Bible open. I will seek to live out whatever you show me with your help. That person will be blessed as they do. In fact, I think it's saying that perseverance in hearing leads to perseverance in trials. We often wonder, how am I going to keep going in that trial? And James is saying, keep listening. If we keep persevering in listening, God will keep us persevering in trials. And some of us in this room are proving that, have proved that there is blessing in the doing of God's word. I spoke to someone recently who I knew at the time that a trial started about 15 or 20 years ago. I, I knew them at the start of that trial and I know that at the start of that trial, they, they made this decision. They said, I'm, I'm going to go your way on this, Lord, hard as it is. And, uh, and they did. And they have. And it was very striking to me to talk to this person and, and in effect say, and we said it to each other, that they would now be a very different person in character had they not made that choice. They... I think, and they acknowledge this, they would have been nursing resentment, very bitter and, and twisted. But actually what was standing in front of me was, a, was, a, was someone who was trusting the Lord, though it had been very hard and was still. But actually, God had worked through the, the hardness of that trial to produce righteousness and trust 
and a beautiful spirit. It's very striking to, to see that in action. And some of you have and are on that journey. And so James says, the one who's not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in his doing. That's the promise. That's the encouragement. But there's the choice, the warning and the encouragement. And as if to give us an immediate chance to put that prayer into action, James takes us on, and we've got verses 26 to 27. And, and this third bit is really a test of deflection or doing. Uh, James is uh, helping us. As we look in the mirror, he's saying, what do you see as you look in the mirror? Do you see fake faith or, or genuine faith looking back at you? It's like the expert in the Antiques Roadshow who can spot um, a, a, a real Wedgwood vase or a, or a fake one. They've, they're an expert who can do that. And, and James is helping us to spot that. And he uses the word religion. That can sound negative to, to our ears. We think it sounds man-made or to do with merit or, or it's public only. But James is saying, look, there is, a tr- there is true religion. There's a proper version of that. It's, it's faith. And he gives us three, three tests of, of genuine faith. And they're to do with our relationship with the tongue, um, with the helpless, and with the world. And we'll just rattle through them. The first is negative, the other two are positive. Uh, by the way, I don't think this is, these verses are, is a full list of Christian behavior, nor that if we fail one of these once, we're definitely not a Christian. Here's, here are some examples to help us to build up a picture of genuine faith. And the first is the negative. It's that fake faith doesn't control the tongue. If anyone thinks he's religious, 26, and and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So here's a person who thinks they have genuine faith, but they're deceived, it's actually fake faith, and the giveaway evidence for that is that there's no bridle on their tongue, it's an image of the horse. They, They don't rein their tongue in at all, in fact they can't, try as they might, they just can't. They're just regularly talking behind people's backs. You know, almost as soon as that person is out of the room, they're at it. They do it it on social media. They're always just talking behind people's backs and and gossiping. They have a pattern of, of destructive talk. There's lying, there's backbiting. They have no control over, over the coarse jokes. They just slip out and the, and the, the foul language, it just, it just comes out. They, they, they can't control it. They, they don't control it. There's no bridle on it. Fake faith doesn't control the tongue. Secondly, James lays out evidence of, of genuine faith that's pleasing to God. So religion that's pure and undefiled before God uh, helps the helpless to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So widows and orphans were the most vulnerable in society of that day. There were no state provision. There were no means of income for widows and orphans. They were on their own. They were in utter freefall. Now again, I take it that these are examples of the helpless. So you know, he's not saying, for example... Um, well, look, you're housing a Ukrainian refugee or you're protecting those who are sex trafficked, but mm, they weren't actually widows or orphans, so it doesn't really count. You know, that would be, it's not saying that. They're just, he's giving examples of the helpless. 
Um, this is about helping those who are vulnerable, those who are exploited, those who are helpless. And genuine faith is moved to do what we can and does that as God gives opportunity. And biblically, I guess opportunity starts with, with the church family, where, where we are. We're to look around. We're to think, how can I meet the needs here? Maybe in our small groups or, or more widely. You know, Lord, what opportunities are you putting before me? Please open my eyes to spot them. And then please help me to do them. And if there aren't obvious opportunities, we'll pray. Lord, please open my eyes to see. You know, picking someone up, bringing them to, to church or, or visiting them or, or cooking. or you know, Lunch club is a great ministry. Others are involved in this. Or you know, babysitting for friends who've adopted children whose parents have left or, or died. This, this charity Home for Good is a great one to, to know of. So maybe we start there, but then we move more, more widely. You know, what opportunities are there to, to get involved in something local? Many have been involved in charities. Christians have been at the forefront of organizations and charities and setting them, them up. James is saying, whatever it is, uh, do it. We'll say more at, the, um, at our meeting a week on Tuesday about how, how as a church, we, we, we can do that. But James is starting with us as individuals, I think. He's saying if anyone thinks he is religious, he's, he's putting the spotlight on each one of us in the room and saying, well, what are, what are you going to do? What can you do to help the helpless? See, it's easy for churches like ours where where we, where we have concern for, the, the, for Bible truth rightly, it's easy for that to become an end in itself. It's right to care about truth and doctrine. It's right to care about reaching lost people for eternity. But knowing the Bible is not an end in itself. Becoming more like God is the end. Worshipping him with our lives, being remade in his image, that is the end that we should be transformed into his character. And what's his character like? Psalm 146 puts him like uh, this. God is the one who watches over the refugee and the widow and the fatherless. And Jesus is the one who provided for his mother, his widowed mother, as he died on the cross. And so true faith says, Lord Jesus, I want to look more like you. Change me. It doesn't say change that person over there or, or, or you know, I leave all of that stuff about widows and orphans to those sort of people. No, let, let each one help the helpless as God, as God gives opportunity. And here's the third uh, mark or test. Genuine faith avoids worldliness. End of verse 27. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So, so in our jobs, in our retirement, in our friendships, our social interaction, genuine faith avoids the ways of the world. Genuine faith has a growing purity. We, we grow in looking different to the world. Not by creating a holy huddle where we all hide away, but being in the world. And yet attractively not of the world. Fake faith looks no different to the world, it adopts the outlook uh, of the world, it cozies up to the ways and the structures of the world and, and I think that's where chapter two um, will, will take us. 
a worldliness in, in sort of siding with the, the rich over the, the poor, with the strong uh, over the weak. So there are the three tests that James gives us. He'll unpack them in the rest of the letter. So in chapter three, um, he'll come back to the, the question of the tongue. Chapter four, friendship with the world. Chapter two next week, helping the helpless. Three tests that reveal genuine or fake faith. In the whole picture, I think. Because you know, lots of people would do the middle one, lots of people would do, would do charity, but there'd be no restraint of the tongue. Or, or their lifestyle or their values would be very different to that of, of Jesus. And again, this isn't about how to become a genuine believer, but about how genuine belief is revealed. You don't become a believer by, by, by doing this by upping your charity giving or, or having a swear box. You, you, you become a believer by receiving the implanted word. And then this is evidence that that has happened. So what are we seeing as we look in, in the mirror? Signs of genuine faith? Signs of fake faith? Are we deflecting this to others or are we seeking to do this ourselves? As we said last week, we we all have a gap between what we believe and how we live, that sort of mind the gap um, thing that we see on the trains. The genuine believer, you know, feels that gap. Speaking to someone after the service this morning, you know, saying, you know, it's, 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 it's been challenging to me, the book of James so far. And I think we came to the conclusion that that was a good thing that he recognized that that was a sign of genuine faith in him, that he, he longed for that gap to be closed. And of course, the best place to, to, to do that, to close that gap, is as we come to the foot of the cross where we say sorry to God for our failures and we thank him for Jesus' perfect faith and sacrifice. Jesus, of course, is the one who reigned in his tongue perfectly under terrible provocation. Jesus who helped the helpless and the voiceless. Jesus who lived an unstained, perfectly pure life. And where we are unrighteous, he was righteous and his righteousness counts for us and our failure. Wonderfully, we're forgiven by him and strengthened to try again and to live out and to be doers of God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Let's have a moment of of quiet. I said one of the things that God has said to us was ask for wisdom in trials, and then I'll give some space for us to ask for that now. So maybe now's the time to do so. Father, please would you help us uh, now, this week, in our lives to receive with meekness the implanted word, what you've said to us, which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.